Hi, I'm Amy Honorado, and you're listening to another DMN one-on-one podcast. I'm here today with Bruce Buchanan, the CEO of Rocked, a transaction marketing platform. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Hi, Amy. It's great to be here. Now, I guess today we're going to talk about something that uh, you mentioned to me a little bit earlier. It's, it's the idea of the buying state of mind. So, you know, in your words, you know, what is the buying state of mind? What does that mean? Well, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about it in the offline world, it's a bit more nebulous because it's hard to actually trap someone that's in a buying state of mind. But in a digital world, if you think about it more laterally, it's like thinking about, you know, a broad-based marketing funnel. And when you get right to the bottom of that funnel, you're in a buying state of mind. And it's really the way we think about buying state of mind is when people are actually in the transaction flow um, and they're in the detail, they're shopping, they're selecting products, they're working out what works, what doesn't work, and they're at that final pointy end of every sort of marketer's dream, which is the purchase funnel. And so I guess that kind of, you think about the way that we shop today, you know, you're going into a store or you're browsing a website online, and I guess online, that, that sort of point of purchase would be in the shopping cart, just about to click purchase. And in the brick and mortar world, it's standing online with your stuff in your hands. Yep. Maneuvering that, that's, those are totally different types of experiences. So when you're thinking about when you're thinking about it as a marketer, how do you how do you approach it? I guess from both angles or from both sides. Well, I think from the broadest sense, if you're a marketer, you're starting off with brand and awareness. You've got a sort of classic marketing funnel, which is you know how do I create awareness, my consideration, consideration and move people through that, that purchase flow until they get down to the bottom of that. And ultimately you're trying to get the most number of people to go through a particular funnel. And as you get close towards the bottom of that uh, marketing activity, you get more targeted and more DM type pieces and retargeting and you know digital uh, bottom of the funnel type products start appearing. But actually one of the most powerful things is right at the bottom. Um, because still, you know, if you measure any website today or if you walked into any store and you worked out how many people walk in here and browse and don't buy anything, um, that's exactly the same on the online site. And what's interesting is typically, you know, for a lot of service-based products like airlines and ticketing and all these sorts of things, there's huge drop-off, you know. Only 10% of people that actually even go and put stuff in the cart actually go and complete the purchase. So actually getting smarter about what you actually sell them and uh, more personalized and more relevant and more tailored to each individual can change the dynamics enormously for a brand. And in that case, that sort of situation, I guess the biggest tool that you would have is data. You know, being able to understand customers well enough to be able to curate that experience for them. So when you're thinking about data, what are the sort of the go-to things that can indicate, hey, this this customer may be interested in these types of things, so you know how to give them the right sort of selections. Yeah, I'm a big believer. Look, I think data is really important because it drives, obviously, the performance outcomes, and you need to be measurable in what you're actually doing. But what's interesting is when we buy things, it's not all completely rational. There's a lot of emotion that comes into it. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of brand identity. And so I think if you think about it as hearts and minds or brand and performance or brand and retail, you know, there's different ways marketers refer to it, but um, the brand piece is more the art, but actually has a huge impact on the science piece, which is the performance marketing piece. So a good brand selling the same product may 
cost them only one-third what our poor brand costs to acquire the same consumer, which is kind of really amazing thing when you think about all these digital brands and all these shops and all these retailers spending all this money and they've got fairly sophisticated measures like CAC and all these things, which is how much it costs them to acquire a single customer. And they're right into the data on acquisition. And we spend a lot of time on that part of the market because that's what our platform is all about. But it's pretty amazing that investing in brand or understanding what, what trust can do can change those dimensions a lot more than data. Because if I can get one third the rate of uh, cost of acquisition through having a more trusted brand and connecting better and having more trust, and that's actually a very powerful driver of my performance marketing spend. And literally, most brands, even the biggest brands in the world, typically the performance stuff is 80, 90% of what they're spending if they've got a detailed direct to consumer type proposition. And the brand stuff typically is 10, 15, 20% of the marketing spend. It tends to be much smaller. But if you think about that multiplier effect, getting the brand right is just as important. I mean, on the data side, there's a lot of stuff we go to, though, you know, so it's about both the user profiling, it's about the contextual pieces of the puzzle, and it's about bringing that together in real time. Absolutely. And that's an interesting point that you bring up, solidifying that idea of brand trust. And it must be easier, you know, you think about these big legacy brands who've been around for years and whose names have been out there, it's, they're substantial. And you think about sort of smaller emerging brands or new e-commerce companies that are coming up, how do they kind of permeate the big players and, and make their names known and kind of break through that, break through the crowd or break through the noise? Yeah, I think actually they've got, they've got actually got a lot going for them, right? Because a traditional big brand, um, often the traditional businesses didn't sell direct to consumers. And so they've got a multi-layered channel, so the brand means lots of different things when you let lots of other people deliver it to the consumer. And so it's a little bit more complicated. They don't get a good read on the consumer. They don't get a lot of data. Um, they're not understanding what works, what doesn't work as well. Well, the new player doesn't have any of those problems, and they don't have all the baggage associated with both the business model and also in terms of um, understanding what the consumer wants. And so. In some ways, the small guys can do a lot more to cut through and break through, and I think that's why we see digital disruptors succeed either really, really well or don't succeed at all, because if they get the cut through, they can really do some damage to the incumbents, and we see that in lots of different, lots of different industries, and people are actually changing the way they buy things, you know, like a dollar shave bar. You know, who would have thought that, you know, you break down a heavyweight like Gillette or one of those PNGs or the big FMCG companies actually getting end run by a completely different business model. And I guess, are there lessons that these legacy brands or the big players can learn from the things that the smaller players are doing since they are coming into the space at a completely different time? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that's really interesting is the newer players are, are treating customers and brand and data as a core competency. And they're not outsourcing that to uh, third-party companies or agencies or those sorts of things. A lot of those businesses regard understanding what works in terms of customer acquisition, what works in terms of uh, transactions and user flows and UX and all those things. is sort of a core competency and so it's something that they want to hold very near and dear to their, their hearts. And so I think they engineer those businesses in a way they just approach things from a very different perspective from a customer acquisition perspective. And that gives them, because it's such a tight connection with the customer, the feedback loop and the data that they're getting is so fast that it gives them the ability to see things in a much clearer light than a traditional brand would see them that's selling through 
three or four layers and is quite removed from the consumer. And so I think the traditional brands, the biggest thing they can learn is how do they get close to the customer? How do they understand what's going on? How do they see which campaign works, which one doesn't work? How do they get consent from users and actually start a relationship with them? There's a whole bunch of things that they can learn that are actually really powerful things that the, the more nimble players are doing. Yeah, and, and going back to that idea of, of customer acquisition and, and the point of sale. So it's one thing to get that, that ultimate kind of conversion. They make a purchase, you know, you, you have that interaction. But I guess the next step after that is having them come back and loyalty and, and retention and, and kind of continuing that conversation. Maybe it's through giving them similar offers or offering discounts and things like that. So how do you, how do they navigate that going along the lines of making sure those customer experiences are tight and relevant and personalized? It's really tough. I mean, one of the reasons why I started Rocked um, was my previous role running Jetstar, which is a low-fares airline in Asia, which we spent 10 years building up, very similar to Southwest, but operates uh, throughout Japan and China and Australia and all these places in, in Southeast Asia. And one of the things we found um, when we were looking at um, the opportunities was it was really hard to orchestrate a personalized checkout experience in any way that was scalable and responsive and something that we could actually deliver for a consumer. Uh, but what we worked out was there was probably you know, 50 or 60 or 70% opportunity to increase profitability if we could get it right. So it wasn't just about customer experience, it was actually a really hard line economic differences, like the, if you can take an economic model, no matter what business you are in retail, FMCG, events or consumer services or transport, and you can produce a, uh, a change of 70% to the underlying profitability by getting smart on something like the checkout, and that's a really important thing. When we looked around, there just wasn't any technology to do that. You know, it's a really hard thing to do because actually what you're doing is bringing together uh, contextual or product type optimization, which most brands do pretty well. So if you're on Amazon and you're buying a product and people that bought this also bought this, um, most brands do that part of the optimization pretty well because the product and service they're selling is sort of their world. So if I'm an airline selling airline tickets, I can display schedules and flights and airline seats pretty well. And if I'm Amazon, I display products and product recommendation pretty well. But once you get beyond that, that first part of the checkout experience, it turns from a product optimization uh, uh, exercise into a user optimization. And you've got to switch from understanding products like this and flows like that um, in terms of the product and service you're selling into who, are, who is this individual, what did they do last time, what are they going to be interested in, where do they live, what's their age, what's gender, what device they're on. And that's a very different set of optimization to do. What upsell should I do them? What, what lifetime value things should I put into their cart now that will help me get them to come back again? Or should I be selling them something that's going to make me more money in this transaction? Uh, or should I just be shortening the transaction to improve the conversion rate? Like they're all trade-offs that are really hard to make. And typically what happens is brands, they become too hard to make, so they just make them in aggregate. And the problem when you make them in aggregate, you actually, rather than, rather than optimizing the experience, you're actually playing to the dominant segment in whatever business you're in. So if you've got 70% young millennial females, then whenever you do a test, whatever the, that dominant segment likes is gonna win because they're 70% of your customers. So whatever you test, well, they're gonna win the, the test. Yeah, so, but if it's 70% of your dominant, isn't that what you would wanna be? Like, what is the value of going after that that minority 30? And is there is there 
kind of a pull in bringing them in? Like, how do you kind of address that? Because it would seem like, hey, this is this, these are our biggest players. So where would that benefit be, and, and how would you approach that when you're looking at the kind of bringing that minority up and maybe making them kind of a bigger piece of your pie? The problem is it becomes diminishing returns. So if every time I optimize to the 70%, and then I disenfranchise the 30%, the next time the 30% are gone, and then my next optimization is 70% of the 70%, and the, the next group you know, are gone. And so what, what you actually should be doing is appealing to all customers. Uh, obviously, you've got this brand identity, which, which is going to be more focused on the individual group of customers, but there's no reason to disenfranchise a set of consumers who want a different experience when they're buying from you. And if you can do that digitally, which you can do, uh, and give every consumer an optimized experience one-to-one, then why not? Why would you not do that? Because then you can say, okay, the 30%, I might be able to grow to 35%, and that 30% may be the most profitable segment for me, or that 30% may actually drive more referrals for me, or that 30% may do something else for me that if I disenfranchise, I may lose that opportunity. It might be new markets, it might be new cities, it might be new countries, it might be new platforms, you know, there's a whole raft of things that the smaller minority group may end up becoming much bigger over time, uh, and disenfranchise them is not a great way to drive business growth in the long run. Yeah, and it's, I guess, you know, when you're, if you're doing something like that, you know, what are, what are the risks involved and, and how do you plan for that accordingly so that if you're, go, if you're going to go in that direction, you're making the, the smart choices with the smaller groups that you're looking to personalize with, like two? So the, the, the challenge is you've got to really optimize on a one-to-one basis and you've got to look for what actually matters to each group. So gender may matter or may not matter. Gender may matter for the creative, but may not matter at all for the user experience. Um, and device may matter a lot for the user experience, but no, may, not, may not matter at all for the creative. And you know, age may matter a lot for another dimension. And it's about making sure that you can take those dimensions and actually pick the best experience, but also the best products and services for you. So you may be really interested in the app download campaign and you know, my grandfather just wants to sign up to the newsletter, um, and you know, he doesn't want to. He doesn't deal with apps, you know. And you know, my mother wants to sign up to the loyalty program because she loves getting a discount on whatever the particular products and services are. But understanding which products and services appeal helps you get that checkout experience, not just from the primary product, but helps you get the next purchase and helps you get a better uh, overall value outcome out of that transaction. So that's optimizing not at a, just at a UX or experience or checkout level, it's optimizing to understand what are the products and services that you and everyone else is interested in and I'll give you the best one. And that's a much smarter way to, to deal with consumers. Absolutely, and, and kind of going along the lines back to that idea of brand trust and when you're, especially in e-commerce, when you're making a transaction online, you are, you are giving a lot of information as a consumer. And dealing on a global scale and with a lot of these new privacies and compliance and people really putting that sort of data consent under the microscope right now, yep. how can brands look at that and kind of navigate that way as well? Because you are, in a sense, getting a lot of first-party data just because people have to put in, if, they're, if they want a home delivery, they have to put in their address. And it's, it's a very different type of... Uh, playing field in that regard when it comes to retail and e-commerce, but it's still, I think, something that should be thought about just in today's climate. Yeah, I mean, look, there's two ways people t- traditionally look at that. The first way is, what's my regu- regulatory compliance obligation, which you have to look at. But I always take, I mean, that's, that's sort of like a baseline that you need to do, and there's different rules in each market. You need to comply with those. 
But the more important thing is what's the right thing for the customer? You know, how do you build trust? And how should you be behaving? You know, not just because you can do something, what should you be doing? And you know, one of the things I find really interesting is when you when you develop things like that, like one of the things we find is consent. You know, lots of brands will try and automatically opt people into programs because they figure it's great to get lots of people opted into a program. But actually what's really interesting is when you look at the data, when you actually ask a consumer and you get a consumer to proactively opt into something um, and they give you consent and they say, yeah, I, want, I want this brand to be in my life and I want to hear about what you've got to tell me. The likelihood of that person actually transacting with that brand, doing business and forming a relationship with, with that business is so much greater than um, if you just automatically hold them into something. So there's a common sense piece, and then there's a take it to the next level. Okay, let me actually really respect who you are, your information, what I send you, and the relationship we have. And that, that will, I think, ultimately, if businesses get smarter about that, they'll get so much more value out of the, out of the relationship. Absolutely. And I guess going back to providing a customer experience as a whole, are there any brands that you think are really doing it right? Any brands, like any examples that you think, hey, this company is really nailing it, they're doing a great job, follow them, check out what they're doing? Yeah, look, I don't think there's a single answer. I think every brand's slightly different, and you've got to look at yourself and say, look, what's the economic realities of the sector I operate in as well? So you've got to say, do I need to, opt, oper- do I need to optimize for you know, profitability because um, my business model is dependent on you know, getting scale and therefore I have to do lots of deals with venues and therefore I need a better economic model um, to be able to do the best deals so I can consolidate ticketing and that's actually what consumers want. That's a different business model than, you know, I'm in transport like Uber and I'm trying to provide the most efficient way to book an Uber. You know, they're very different sort of uh, consumer um, uh, consumer experiences but they're, they're driven by the realities of what those businesses need to do. So I think when I look at it that way, are businesses uh, are their businesses really smart that are optimizing based on what their business reality is and the data and, and the users that they have? There's not a lot of businesses, I would say, doing it really, really well. There's businesses on journeys, and we see businesses like um, you know Expedia and Hotels.com and Ticketmaster that are on these great journeys that are starting to invest a lot in this capability. But they still, you know, still got a long way to go to actually build what they want to build from a consumer experience perspective. And there's other businesses out there that, you know, are, are not even in thinking about these sorts of things. Where do you think, you know, if, if this was to be like in a perfect world, you know, what what do you think the optimal like kind of goal where people should be moving and, and where I guess the trends are moving ahead? Because this is something personalization is a conversation that's been going on for months, if not years now, going going along those lines and moving in that direction. It seems like where most of the market or most of the ideas are going today. Yeah, look, I think I think personalization and contextualization are a bit of buzzwords. So like yeah. data, so like what what are you doing? I'm putting like your name in an email. It's like okay, that's great, <laughs> but that doesn't really shift the dial at all. Um, I think if you think about what I think of what brands should be doing, it's like true it's true one to one optimization, not just of the user experience and not just of the things that identify or create a relationship in the creative, but are things like the products and services that you offer me and the checkout experience and, you know, what other things do you know about me that can help make that much more relevant? And, 
I think that more brands, the brands that get better at that, the potential, uh, potential gains both in terms of customer experience and economic profitability for the brand is huge. Because you can cut out the 18 things that they want to ask you and get down to the three that are actually relevant to you. And that's really the, the, the real prize, I think, is relevancy. Um, so personalization, I think, comes together with optimization to create relevancy. Um, and the stronger the relevancy, uh, the better the outcome is going to be. And that's, that's the, the goal, I think, of most of these brands. And it's not, the critical piece of it is not just from a user experience, it's from our products and services and the things that you're going to want to do next, you know, like the campaigns that that brand wants to run with you. So, you know, the email opt-in, the app download, the lifetime value is going to help you uh, purchase next time, the refer a friend program, those sorts of things, and understanding which users interact with which of those ones help drive future purchase as well as the things that I need to do for this particular transaction. Fantastic. Bruce, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to, to chat today. This was great. And uh, for all of you listening, this has been another DMN one-on-one podcast. We'll see you next week.